such a great moment and uh, to acknowledge God's goodness to us and appreciate his work. And um, with all due respect to Megan's spiritual processing and to good neighbors, I, I did tell her that if she should change her mind, we'll still have a reception for her uh, and she could let it me know before the benediction and we'll make it a different kind of reception. But, uh, but truly good to celebrate and certainly she'll always be welcome as her family seeks to continue to attend here uh, on our platform and in our community as a dedicated servant of Christ. Um, our text this morning is we move through this book of Ephesians is about the church and it is about um, our calling uh, to find our place and to give our labors uh, to what God is doing in the world. And so we're going to begin reading at Ephesians chapter 3. And it's a, it's a text where Paul interrupts himself before he prays. If you've ever found yourself interrupting one of your own prayers, you're in good company. And he starts with saying, for this reason, and then he finds before he prays, there's just something that he has to say about what God has done in his life. And so in the next uh, verses 3 through 13, what we find Paul doing is a run-on 189-word sentence of exuberant enthusiasm about the calling of his life. And then, as we're going to see next week, he drops to his knees. So just know that that's what's going on here. There's like this Holy Spirit exuberant interruption in Paul where he just can't contain the divine calling on his life. Uh, as, and then he drops to his knees in prayer. So beginning at verse one, Paul writes, for this reason, and he meant to go to prayer, but he says, for this reason, I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus, um, for the sake of you Gentiles, Surely you have heard about the administration of God's grace that was given to me for you. That is the mystery made known to me by revelation as I have already written briefly. In reading this then, you will be able to understand my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to people in other generations as it has now been revealed by the spirit to God's holy apostles and prophets. This mystery is that through the gospel, the Gentiles are heirs together with Israel, members together of one body, and shares together in the promise in Christ Jesus. I became a servant of this gospel by the gift of God's grace given to me through the working of his power. Although I am less than the least of all of the Lord's people, this grace was given to me to preach to the Gentiles the boundless riches of Christ and to make plain to everyone the administration of this mystery which for ages was kept hidden in God who created all things. His intent was that now through the church the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms according to his eternal purpose that he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord, in him and through faith in him, we may approach God with freedom and confidence. I ask you therefore, not to be discouraged because of my sufferings for you, which are your glory. Let us pray. Father, we receive your word this morning and we pray that you would indeed illuminate it is a perfect, infallible word that you have given to us. But we need the Spirit's help to understand and receive and then to live out what you have brought to us in Jesus Christ. We ask this morning, O oh God, that you would enable us to perceive our own lives in light of this word. The great calling, though we recognize, Lord, our hearts are often frail and fickle and foolish. You have a great and different destiny for us if we will bring our frailty to the cross, if we will bring it to the promises, if we will come, Lord, and receive your encouragement this morning. So, Lord, we would pray for ourselves. We would pray for everyone in the hearing of this room and online that we might, Lord, perceive your voice speaking through your inspired word to do your great work, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I draw your attention, especially in this passage, to verse 10. 
Because here we see the most bold, outlandish faith in the church, I think in a sentence, that you may find in the entire New Testament. Paul here, writing from prison, writing in a place as an ambassador of the church, but he is chained to a prison guard. Uh, He writes that God's intent, through the organization that he now is an apostle leading, his intent was that God was going to use this organization to make his manifold wisdom known to even the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms. Now, I I think Paul is speaking, yes, of angels, uh, that the organization he is leading is going to instruct the angels. We often think like, wow, if I met an angel, they'd have a lot to teach me about God. That's not how the New Testament looks at it. (laughs) In the New Testament, Paul writes to the Corinthians, there's this little throwaway line, and he says, do you not know that you're gonna judge the angels? And uh, every time I read that, I wanna say, Paul, no, uh, please tell me more. (laughs) We're gonna judge the angels? Um, No, here he says that the church is going to instruct the angels. Not only the angels, though. This phrase, the the rulers and authorities of of heavenly realms, spiritual beings, he's speaking also, I think, of, of evil rulers. And not only that, I believe he's speaking of how they show up in the powers of the institutions on the earth. And he's saying that the organization he leads and he's in prison for, that's virtually powerless, is being persecuted and hunted and hounded in every place it's expressing itself. It's been outlawed by all of those human authorities and rulers. He's saying, no, this organization is going to be the tutor. I, I wanna say this, this is an outlandish, <laughs> uh, you, you might say the, the most incredible confidence in, in the fact that God is the one who has raised up the church as this, this unstoppable force. If, if there were a, a founder of, of, of some small little picayune business that says one day we're gonna have you know, incredibly a, a worldwide market, Uh, you would say they're delusional. This is that delusion to the 10th power. (laughs) You know, like how how the, uh, you know the origin of (laughs) Coca-Cola? You know, started with this this man, John Pemberton, who uh, fought in the Civil War, had an injury that couldn't be cured, and so he developed a kind of alcoholic, cocaine-laced beverage to deal with his his remedies, and um, Eventually, the alcohol got outlawed, <laughs> the cocaine had to be removed, uh, and he, was, he just opened a little fountain in Atlanta, and he, and he served nine beverages a day <laughs> to people. That's how it started. But you know what Coca-Cola is now? <laughs> you know that it, uh, the Coca-Cola now uh, makes so many different beverages that if you were to drink one beverage of the Coca-Cola company a day, it would take you nine years to drink all those beverages. <laughs> Um, if, if every uh, beverage that Coke produced was put in an eight ounce ba- bottle and laid end to end, they would reach to the moon and back over 2,000 times. <laughs> and their logo is now known and recognized by over 94% of the world. <laughs> but imagine if Pemberton, when he made this little beverage said, I'm gonna make a beverage that is going to be known by 94% of the world, that will, its bottles will stretch to the moon and back 2,000, you know, you'd say he's insane. <laughs> and, and I just wanna to submit to you that the, the confidence that Paul had in the church, which has a, a whole uh, more comprehensive and exalted task to fulfill, would make that kind of confidence, if Pemberton had had it, <laughs> look like a very small thing. And so I wanna, I wanna ask you this morning, where is your confidence in what God has said he is going to do in the church? And are you, that, that we're gonna not just ask you your emotional confidence, we're gonna ask you the question, are you expressing that confidence in the way you live your life, that God-ordained confidence in what he has said about his church? And the first thing we're gonna look at uh, is our suffering. If you look at verse one, Paul here describes himself in verse one and his sufferings as being um, for Jesus. In fact, this is kind of a a blow to the powers. You know, um, Paul's representing this little, humble, persecuted, and hounded organization. And yet one of the evidences that this organization, the church, is God-touched is that the highest ruler's and authorities in the world were intimidated by it. 
And, and Paul here says that he is not a prisoner of Rome or of Nero, but he is a prisoner of Jesus Christ for the sake of this, this gospel that he is preaching. Uh, this actual imprisonment came to Paul because he was slandered for something he did not do. If you read the book of Acts, his imprisonment came because they made a false accusation that Paul had taken Gentiles into the inner court of the temple, something that he did not do. But his offense was likely because he was proclaiming something that was utterly anticipated, and that was through the church. Now, all ethnicities, all different uh, cultural groups, I, I don't even want to call them races because race is a human construct. There is no such thing as race uh, except the human race, but these contrasts of skin color have been manipulated and used uh, to oppress and assault and insult and divide people. But what Paul was saying is none of those things matter now that Christ has come and we are going to be all in one family. And sometimes when we read the, the powerful verses about how there's no exclusion of everyone, we think because we're used to being in a church that looks like us that we are the insiders and we're so gracious to welcome the outsiders. But that's not how it would have been understood unless you're Jewish. I think we had one person here who was from a Jewish background to say that we are actually part of the dregs and the outsiders and, and, and the tail and God has welcomed us into this body that is, has not got a home field advantage for the Jew, but is now a place where we all converge into this one new people. And Paul was suffering for this. And he, he took his suffering up as something that was, was a glory to him. In fact, the last verse he says, he says um, he was concerned about the ones that knew him and were, might be discouraged, you know, by saying, wow, our representative is being chained in a, in a, a, a dungeon-like prison. And he says, no, my sufferings are for your glory. Because Paul was saying, my sufferings have the attention of the world's powers. <laughs> And, and my suffering is, is a kind of endorsement. Paul's suffering is as Christ's representative. And you know, if you and I live for Christ and we are not suffering, we're probably fooling ourselves. The Bible says that all who seek to live godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. And Paul here is saying that's a reason to glory when we suffer some kind of reversal, some kind of insult, some kind of slander for Christ. We suffer because Christ says you suffer because they do not like me. Every time a Christian suffers, and here's the reality, the greatest suffering of any group in the world is done by those who bear the name of Jesus Christ. This was true in the first century, and it is true in the 21st century. Uh, the latest uh, report on Christian persecution uh, finds that um, great swaths of the world, uh, uh, world's Christians live in places where it is illegal to confess Jesus Christ as Lord. There are nations, 10 top nations, um, that are literally putting believers in Christ to death simply for confessing the name of Jesus Christ. Uh, last year was a thousand more martyrs than the year before that, that we know of. Uh, over uh, over 7,000 we know of, and often these are suppressed, right, by the governments that want to suppress Christianity. They don't want to make celebrities out of the people they martyred, so they suppress their names. Over 7,000 names are known. But that's just martyrdom. We're not talking about Christians who, for the sake of their faith, have lost their businesses, have had their family members abducted, have been assaulted violently, or the 218,000 Christians who were forced to leave their homes explicitly for their faith, leaving everything behind. And of that number, 25,000 Christians were forced not only to leave their homes, but to leave their countries, not to mention mass movements of refugees for the faith. What we might say is, Paul, nothing's really changed. <laughs> the principalities and powers that are evil um, upon uh, this earth, when they find an expression in the form of a government on this earth, they continue to assault God's people. And Paul is saying, don't let that discourage you. Let it, know, let it make you know that the profession, the simple words that Jesus Christ is Lord, makes leaders 
who have battalions of armed protectors, who have control of the military might of their country, who don't have to face any kind of electorate in a vote, they fear the, the person who proclaims that Jesus is Lord, because when you say Jesus is Lord, it means that Nero is not. It means that the emperor of China is not. It means the president of North Korea is not. It means, dare I say, even the governing authorities in our own constitutional democracy are not Lord. Jesus Christ is Lord is the statement that makes the leaders tremble. And so he says, I am willing to be poured out and suffer. Let me just say, I don't know what, uh, I don't, wasn't even sure I should share this, but just I, I got a phone call the other day from a dear friend I went to college with, and he says, Bob, I want you to jump on a plane with me and go to a place and minister to pastors for a week. By the way, it's in a place that, you know, has the number one outbreaks of sudden shootings in churches of any place on the country, but let's go. And I'm like, hmm, okay. Comfortable little home we have here. My dog will miss me, <laughs> right? But it's like, this is what the, this is the drama, and it's like, do you get to be a part of it? And so like, yeah, there's a part of me that says, wow, God, this is my glory. And Paul says, this shows that the church is God-touched. So I ask you, what are you willing to suffer for the name of Jesus Christ? What are you willing to suffer for the advance of the church of Jesus Christ? The right answer really, if we are thinking rationally, is God, take my whole self. Take my whole self. Secondly, the second thing that will demonstrate whether you are thinking of the church and giving the church the attention that God calls you is you recognize the incredible inclusivity of the community of Jesus. Uh, once we understand this, we will first of all be amazed that it includes us. That, that's what Paul refers to here. He says that he was amazed that as the least of all of the saints, is what he says literally, the least of all the Lord's people. And I love how he, he demotes himself. He, even, he actually says, literally, he says, less than uh, the most undeserving member of the church of Christ, I think he's thinking of the way where he used to persecute the church, hunt them down, even the women, and he's thinking, how can the one who wanted to extinguish the church now be given this platform and microphone, yes, and chains and prison to make this known, and he says uh, that this, this included him. There is nothing that will make us more welcoming to other people to the least of these than when we have an experiential sense that we are the least who deserve the welcome of Christ. And yet he says, I got it. I got the welcome of Christ. And he says that it was given to me, it was given to me as a gift uh, to preach the unsearchable riches of Christ. I don't want you to miss that. Um, you see this, this verse in Paul describing this. He says, um, in verse eight, if you put verse eight up here, he says, although I'm the least of all the Lord's people, this grace was given me to preach to the Gentiles, and here it's a little unfortunate translation, the boundless riches of Christ. That's not exactly what Paul says. Paul actually has to invent a word for what he is given the privilege of preaching. Uh, it's a word that doesn't exist anywhere else in the Bible, uh, and it, it speaks of something that is untrackable. Uh, the best way to probably trace it out is not just that you can't map it, but that it, you, you cannot track the activity of God in what he is doing to promote the name of Jesus through his church. Um, it could be translated fathomless. You think of something that is fathomless. Is the ocean literally fathomless? It's huge but it ultimately could be fathomed. <laughs> um, if you had the measurements and abilities. Uh, space, expanding, you had the abilities, you, you somewhere could get the measurement of it, but here he's saying that there is in Jesus Christ, Jesus of Nazareth, which, who walked this earth, this, this is a proof of the deity of Jesus Christ because he's saying here that Jesus is of infinite value. You can have eternity upon eternity and you will be discovering new, immense greatness from Jesus. And Paul says it is given to him to proclaim 
the unfathomable, untrackable riches of Jesus. I think Paul says it in Romans eleven thirty three. 33, says, oh, the depths of the riches of the wisdom and knowledge of God, how unsearchable his judgments and his paths beyond tracing out. Jesus is the one figure you, can, you will never tire of centering on, of researching, of pondering his words, treasuring his actions. He is unsearchable. He is untrackable. You will never get to the base of it. And this was his commission to preach the unsearchable riches of Christ. And then verse nine, he says, to make plain to everyone the administration of this mystery. This mystery was, it's amazing Paul used the word because they called the cults mysteries. The, the mystery cults with secret handshakes and secret initiations, but he says the mystery of the gospel is something not with a quiet handshake and secluded, but it's for public demonstration that in Christ, God is doing something publicly that is open to everyone's scrutiny. It was not done in a corner to discover the greatness of Jesus. And so then in verse 10, he says his intent was now that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known. This manifest, the, the, the multicolored dimension of the wisdom of God should be made known. And the main way the manifold wisdom of God is made known that, that Paul makes clear is through the cross. In 1 Corinthians 2, he said that the cross is the power of God and the wisdom of God, but he says this wisdom, and they have the same connection here to the rulers and authorities with their earthly rulers and authorities. In 1 Corinthians 2, he says, he says the rulers of this world did not understand the wisdom of the cross because he says, if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. You see, what, he, what he's saying here is, the rulers of this world, you could say Pilate and Herod, when they made friends over Jesus Christ and handed him over to each other, um, they thought that they could suppress this movement. The satanic design behind the cross was that they thought that they were bringing the sending of God incarnate to the earth to a humiliating end. Rejection and scattering of his followers and the mighty suppression of it by the civil magistrates. But what the gospel reveals is that this was the greatest judo move of all history. <laughs> that what the world thought that they were seizing hold of to annihilate and exterminate Christians was actually going to be the one thing that would make Christianity an unstoppable force and movement through the cross of Christ. And that this causes not only the world powers to be astonished, you know that the cross was an instrument of suppressing every other movement in Roman history. This was why when you would enter, you would see lines of crosses and even sometimes the decaying bodies of individuals basically saying, that's a movement you do not want to be part of because if you are part of that movement, you will be pinned like an insect to these stakes in the ground and you will die this horrible death. But in the case of Jesus, <laughs> when Jesus was pinned to that cross, it became the very groundswell of the spreading of the faith. And the Bible tells us that though the angels knew the glory of Christ and they could not suppress their singing at the birth of Christ in the manger, that it tells us that as the gospel was revealed as Christ coming to die for our sins and to be exalted and resurrected, 1 Peter 1.10 tells us that it was revealed through the prophets uh, that they were not serving themselves but Christ and it describes the gospel as something into which even the angels long to look. They are learning the gospel. They are learning and watching the church because they have something to learn that they cannot learn from their own community. They have something to learn that they could not learn if sin had not been allowed to happen upon the earth. And that is the extent that the heart of God will go to reclaim his fallen children back to himself to the cross. 
The angels, my friends, need the instruction of the church. The angels long to look into the gospel through our fallenness. Do you know the angels, they don't get to be baptized. They watch us. And they say, isn't that amazing? These individuals by faith are receiving this sign of the power of the cross over their lives. Do you know the angels, they don't get to take the Lord's Supper. They don't get to take the spiritual presence that becomes so effectual in our lives by the, of the poured out blood and the broken body of Jesus Christ. They watch us. They watch us line up. They watch us come sometimes with tear-stained cheeks as we come back to the fount of our forgiveness. And it says that it is through the church that God is making known to the angels something of his character that they could have never, ever known apart from us. That they long to peer into it. That they long to see what, how is it that God could reconcile us. You know, the angels saw our fall from grace and they watch it as, as creatures of time. They have a beginning, unlike God, who has no beginning. They have uh, eternity before them. And they must have wondered at that moment, how is God going to address the ruin that sin has brought, the blot that has now tainted all of his creation? And it had to be to their absolute astonishment when they saw Christ not only walk this earth in humility and be spat upon and be scourged and bruised, but when they saw his actual death and in that death, what the angels saw is that God's law, God's righteousness was more vindicated by the death of his son, Jesus, than his righteousness would have been vindicated if God had just sent us all to hell forever. It showed the solemn nature of the holiness of God, that God would extract that holiness even from his own son that somehow for the Son of God to suffer for sin was a more glorious establishment of the glory and the government of God than for the whole human race to suffer. And the angels then had the glory of celebrating, as, he, as Jesus told us in the parable, each broken life that hears that message of a broken Savior who died for them and then receives it. It says that every time an individual receives that, the angels throw a celestial party in heaven. They are celebrating how this breaks into our life. And this breaks into our life, friends, through the church. There is no organization on earth that is given the simple mandate that Jesus gave the church to make this known to every single person. Do you know there are a lot of good organizations in Chester County, but there is no other organization that has the mantle of Christ that has been told to make Jesus known to every single person. There are good ministries working in schools and in universities and in broken places of the earth, but the one organization that has this is their entire mandate, their government, their sacraments of the Lord's Supper and baptism, their offices and ways of serving from evangelists to elders, to pastors, to teachers, that has been established by the church. And why has it been established? Because through the proclamation and living out the gospel, God is calling people back to himself. And for all of the time and all of the faults and all of the blemishes, all of those simply like the cross of Christ and its humiliation show this setup that even the lowest moments of the church have for the fathomless grace of Jesus to take what maybe individuals or more accurately Satan himself meant for evil, but that God is designed for the good of showing that where sin abounded, grace superabounded, and there is the opportunity of life out of death like it comes for the cross, and pardon out of a hardened heart where there's a new heart written in. And so the angels are astonished at this. And so Paul says, this is the eternal purpose. If you look at verse 11, 
He says, this is according to an eternal purpose that God accomplished. In other words, this was not a haphazard plan that God said, oh no, <laughs> my world is getting out of control with sin. This was the plan God had before all ages. And it was a plan that was accomplished once and for all in Jesus Christ our Lord. The church, when we understand this, we're not fighting to somehow squeeze out of victory for Jesus. We're not fighting for a situation that may be some, in some doubt. We're not like the fight in Phil's, you know, that we're hoping we'll pull a victory out and launch into the World Series. We don't know. We are those who are not fighting for victory, but we are fighting from the victory of Jesus. We are fighting for a cause that cannot be defeated, that cannot be denied, that will not be delayed before God's time. And it is through the church that the manifold wisdom of God is going to be made known to all of the powers of the earth. That's why they still tremble. That's why as locked down as North Korea is, they cannot tolerate a free and open Bible study. Or a person who says, Jesus is Lord and you were not. And so what Paul is really calling us to do is to say, grasp your hope and your title. Because what we are about as the church will be enabled, will, is the thing in which God will instruct all of the beings of the earth and all the administrations of the earth. Paul is basically saying, he's saying, I want you to be a citizen of the church that gives yourself to the labors and the task of the church in making Christ known so that the greatness of God will be transparently evident. That's what he's saying. This is the church as Jesus conceived it. It is not the church as sometimes it's conceived of in our consumer American culture. I like what much of what Francis Chan has been writing about his restlessness over the church. And he says this, he says, I have found that the American church is a difficult place to fit into if I wanna live out biblical Christianity. Because the goals of American Christianity are a nice marriage, children who don't swear, and good church attendance. But taking the words of Christ literally and seriously is rarely considered. That's for the radicals who are unbalanced and who go overboard. Most of us just want a balanced life we can control that is safe and that does not involve suffering. And I have found sometimes it is necessary to discard the culture of the American church in order to embrace the culture of the New Testament. Oh, that's challenging, folks. But those are true and apt words. Today I'm gonna be opening up the vintage of what it means to be a covenant partner in the church. Not what it means to fill a seat, not what it, you know, anybody can do that without a whole lot of consideration. But what does it mean to really take your role in the church seriously? What does it mean to become a, a covenant partner? And I think there's, there is no more important question than one, where you do that, and secondly, how you do that. I, I would counsel premarital couples, and I would often say, the most important decision you will make after you commit your lives to each other, the most important decision is going to be where will you commit yourselves to the church of Christ and how will you carry that commitment out? And I said, if you can tell me the answer to that question, I can predict your future. I can tell you what the state of your life will be. I can tell you what the trajectory of your life is. I can't tell you how long you'll live, but I can tell you if you live a long time, this is the trajectory. I can't tell you whether you'll have children, but I can tell you if you have children, this is what the climate and the trajectory of their lives will be. And your children's children and beyond, that is the most accurate predictor because when we are joined and give ourselves to the cause of God, it unleashes the support of God behind us in come what may. I can't say you won't wind up in prison. Paul wound up in prison. I can't say you won't suffer. Paul suffered. <laughs> but I can say there will be a glory touch those sufferings. And so I ask, is, is that present in our lives? Are we that church? <laughs> I want to be that church. <laughs> I, I want to be the church that where we, we have the audacity to have meetings where the only attraction is God. We, we got no refreshments. We got no childcare. We got no kick and worship band. I love all those things. We'll have them lots of times. 
But I would say we have meetings sometimes that is just about God and pouring ourselves out and we find that we just, we don't wanna leave. We had a little taste of this Thursday night in a prayer meeting where it was just the occasion of God. And I'm telling you, the little circle of chairs that sat up here on, around the platform, when we ended that meeting, we didn't wanna leave. You know why? Because we sensed that glory had come down and filled this place. There was a hush here. You can ask the few who were there. That it was like, this, man, this is church. This is not churchianity. This is not diluted uh, churchianity. This is, this is a place where we're saying, God, we wanna take you at your word. We, we're, we're sick and tired of a consumerist Christianity that looks like every other organization in the world, right? Go ahead, be cynical about that stuff. But don't be cynical about the organization that Jesus founded. You can, we all have our wounds. We all have our disappointments about the church. And you know what I found out? I found out that when I've had wounds about the church, it isn't really the church that let me down. It was a few people, just a few but that the overwhelming rank and file of those who love Jesus have lived a different narrative and I need to lift my eyes and see it. But I also need to lift my eyes and be it. And to be part of the solution to this broken world where there is so much polarization and cynicism and saying, you know what? I'm part of the only body on the earth that encompasses virtually every known language group every known skin tone, every known educational level, and we unite together around the cross of Jesus. And we're about getting into all the broken places and setting free the captives and binding up the brokenhearted and giving to people the oil of gladness for ashes and despair. That's what we're about. And you know there is no thing that you or I can be part of that is as precious as that. Nothing. I'll just close with one story of, of a hero some of you may know about. Timothy Dwight was his name. He was a grandchild of Jonathan Edwards. He was a chaplain of the army to throw off oppression, or in other words, the Revolutionary War. He was a chaplain there. He was uh, president of Princeton University. When he got to Princeton, there were only seven believers there. And as president and chaplain, he began to preach the gospel, and pretty soon the whole campus was filled with Christ followers. And he is an honored guy, right? Chaplain, knew George Washington closely and up personally, lived a really incredible life. But he wrote, he wrote lyrics to a hymn that became really popular. They even published this hymn in books that were just the Psalms. Some of them were saying, well, we're only gonna sing God's words, the Psalms, but his words made it in. And you know what those words were? You know what those words were about? They were about the fact that the highest privilege of his life was serving the church. And that if he had a million lives to live over, he would wanna live all of them for the church. And here, here are the words he says of the church. He says, for here, her, my tears shall fall. For her, my prayers ascend. To her, my cares and toils be given till toils and cares shall end. And then he says this, he says, beyond my highest joys, I prize her heavenly ways, her sweet communion, solemn vows, her hymns, of love and praise, I prize the highest. That's a great American, but that's not American Christianity, folks. American Christianity, half the members on the church roll can't be found. 20% of them maybe show up on Sunday, if you're lucky. Most have never told anyone about Jesus and can't really be found. That's a product of American culture. And we need to see a reversal. Oh man, we need more than a rebranding. <laughs> we need a reversal of heart and repentance and life so that we can be the church that Jesus said, the way you know that church is, is on the ground is because hell's not winning. <laughs> The gates of, of Hades are coming down. 
And that church, you know how simple it is? That church is simply broken lives who say, God, I want you to take the steering wheel of my life. I want you to take my life in all of its brokenness, in all humility, though I am lower than the least of all of your people, God, I want you to enroll me in making known the greatness of who you are. And so I say, do you know the privilege of being the church that Paul talked about here, the church that declares the manifold wisdom of God, even to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places? There is nothing like it, and it's available to all of us through Jesus. Let's pray. Oh, Father, we don't deserve to be invited and enlisted, but that is the whole plot line. <laughs> because that simply shows the world that anybody can come. And it shows the world that you are reversing sin and brokenness in every place it's found. Oh, God, would you do it here? Would you do it in us? Will you do it in this age that we are living in? Let it begin with us, God. And let us answer to that call in a way that make your name more known than the name Coca-Cola and more recognized with awe and affection. Lord, we pray that from Chester County to China, around this globe, that Jesus would see the reward of his suffering and be satisfied, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I would be remiss if I did not um, say one thing about this team up here with me. Um, our worship team has been such a blessing. As I heard him preaching about you just the church and, and suffering, and sometimes we don't like to see that. Um, the thing that makes the worship team so awesome is all the things that they do beyond uh, worship and singing. Um, they worship God by supporting each other um, through suicides, deaths in family, addiction, parenting challenges, cancer. That's just the stage right now, <laughs> and so much more. Um, and so it is such a joy to get to sing of the goodness of God um, with all of you, with all of them, with all of you who aren't on the stage right now. Would you stand and sing with me? Every 
Megan for living that out among us. Thank God for the privilege that he calls all of us to that. We get to be the people who live our lives so the principalities and powers and Satan himself dreads our putting our feet on the ground in the morning and taking the next steps ahead. So that's the life the Lord invites us to. Um, and I want to say, if maybe God's moved on your heart, we've got room in this little class to look at what partnering looks like uh, with CLC. So if you want to join me uh, at about 1045, there's even a little light lunch there uh, to make it, you know, more American. <laughs> we feed you. Um, but um, love to have you join me as a look at, like, what does it take to be a church that gives the devil fits? That's what we want to be. Um, and now lift up your hearts to your God and receive this benediction. Now may God himself, the God of peace, sanctify you, make you like Jesus through and through. Body, soul, and spirit, may he do this. Faithful is the one who calls us, and he will bring it to pass through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen.
Feel the room.